Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, if you would. And that is on page 719 of the Pew Bibles. We'll be there in just a bit. Right now I want to read something to you. It comes out of uh, Jim Simbola's book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which has been out for several years now. This is a lengthy reading, but I don't think you'll have trouble staying with it. A fellow named Terry and some others grew concerned for the subculture of male prostitutes that flourishes on the lower west side of Manhattan in a place called the Salt Mines, where the city keeps salt for de-icing streets in the winter. This sick subculture ranges up to a couple of a hundred men when the weather is warm, living in abandoned vehicles or subterranean cavities, many dress and drag and offer themselves to customers who come by, some of them wealthy professionals in stretch limousines. Get the picture. This is not a pretty society. Many of them, as boys, were raped by adult relatives. At the salt mines, they start as young as age 16, but they don't last much beyond 40. After that, they're either in jail or dead from a transmitted disease or a drug overdose. The neighborhood has many leather and chain bars. Some of the male prostitutes carry razor blades for protection. Our outreach team began to bring food and blankets during the daylight hours on Saturday when the men weren't distracted by their work. Although the men made considerable money, they tended to squander it on drugs. That left them scavenging garbage cans and dumpsters for food. To feel compassion for these guys, to understand their wretched life, was extremely difficult. We prayed fervently on Tuesday nights for love, compassion, and protection. My teenage daughter Susan became part of the team, and more than once she told me, Daddy, it's so frustrating last night. I was talking to this person about Jesus, and he was really listening to me. And just when I thought I was getting somewhere with him, up rolls this limo, the rear door opens a crack, a hand beckons, and he's gone. Sorry, Susan, got to take care of business now, he says to me. All was not in vain, however. One Sunday afternoon, about a half an hour before the afternoon service, Terry knocked on my office door. Jim! We've got 27 guys here today from the salt mines. Isn't that incredible? How did this happen, I ask? He got a bunch of, we got a bunch of vans and brought them. For many of them, this is going to be their first time ever in church. I learned later that one of them had a machete inside the sleeve of his raincoat just in case he felt he needed to use it in church that day. I learned later that one of them had a... I'm oh, sorry, just read that line. The congregation took their presence uh, in stride, even though the men didn't exactly look or smell uh, all that much like churchgoers. At the end of the service, some of them responded to give their hearts to the Lord. Others sat stunned as church members greeted them with smiles and handshakes. Walking down the center aisle, I bumped into an attractive woman in a black dress with blonde shoulder-length hair, nicely done nails, black stockings, and high heels. Excuse me, ma'am, I said. She turned and in this low voice with a heavy Spanish accent replied, No, that's okay, man. My heart skipped a beat. This was not a woman after all, but neither was it a sloppy transvestite. This was a knockout of a woman. Bone thin, no body hair, thanks to hormonal treatment. I, as I took closer notice, the only visual giveaway was the Adam's apple. I edged toward my wife. Carol, you're not going to believe this, I whispered, but that's a guy standing over there. Don't fool with me, she said. I'm not kidding, that's a guy, trust me. 
Well, it turned out his name was Ricardo, known on the street as Sarah. Terry reported later that he was the main troublemaker of all. He introduced all the young kids to crack cocaine and prostitution. Ricardo had been playing his, tra- playing his trade for at least 10 years, and the dreariness was finally starting to get to him. Imagine the despair of hustling most of the night to make four or five hundred dollars, immediately blowing that money on cocaine, falling asleep under a bridge, and waking up the next morning to pick through garbage cans to look for some breakfast. The next night, as evening draws near, you start all over again. Ricardo sat in the meetings, and it dawned on him that maybe he could be different. This Jesus could actually set him free from crack. Perhaps this Jesus could even change him into a true man, not his half-and-half person that he assumed as his nature. He'd been teased from childhood about being effeminate. His mother had pleaded with him to forsake homosexuality, and he had tried to no avail. His willpower had failed him countless times. But the idea that God was stronger, that God could in fact change him on the inside, that was a new thought. Ricardo kept listening, and after about a month, he gave his heart to the Lord. It was not a dramatic conversion. I'm not even sure when it happened, but it was real on the inside. I will never forget the Tuesday night we introduced him to the congregation. He stood before us, a bit shy, in male clothing. His blonde hair had been cut, and dark roots were now growing out. His nail polish had been chipped off. Subconscious habits were being overhauled with instruction from Terry and the others. The congregation couldn't help but cheer and praise God for this miracle. Ricardo stood there perplexed at the noise. Why were all these people applauding him? In the months that followed, Ricardo made great progress in his spiritual life. It took three months to get him straight enough even to be accepted in a drug rehabilitation program. Nevertheless, his commitment to follow Christ was solid. The old had gone. The new had definitely come. Ricardo had come out of pitch blackness into the light. Charles Spurgeon once said that when a jeweler shows his best diamonds, he sets them against the black velvet backdrop. The contrast of the jewels against the dark velvet brings out the luster. In the same way, God does this the most stu- his most stunning work where things seem hopeless. Wherever there is pain, suffering, and desperation, Jesus is, and that's where his people belong, among those who are vulnerable, to think, who, those who think that nobody cares. What better place for the brilliance of Christ to shine? Ricardo eventually moved to Texas. I was in Dallas one summer and ran into him. It was great to see the transformation. He'd gained weight and was every inch a real man. I hugged him and then he delivered a new shock. Jim, I, want, I, wish, you to come, I wish you could come back in two weeks. I'm getting married. You're what? My mind flashed back to the first time I had met him dressed as he was in the church building. Oh, yes, he said, I've met a Christian woman named Betty, and we love each other deeply. We're getting married. The fact that Ricardo had AIDS made the situation complicated, but with proper guidance and counseling, he and Betty established a new home together. I've got to tell you, there's something surprising to me in this story, and there was something that surprised me the more I reflected on it. And that's this. It was a surprise to me how much this story was a surprise to me. And what I mean is, is that it was a surprise to me 
that this kind of thing doesn't happen in my life every day. It's almost a shock to me, given who God is, given the way that Jesus works in our lives and in what he wants to have happen within us, it's a surprise to me this is such a surprise. Because I think this is what God wants to happen all the time. And for me, that would indeed be very unusual. I want you to look at Mark 10 for a moment again. The passage that was earlier read. And just look at verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the pattern. That's what it's supposed to be like. It shouldn't surprise us that we would reach into a community and a culture, like, for example, in Marlboro, that needs us badly and that we could have a dramatic impact there. Because that's exactly what Jesus calls us to and says that that's what he himself was about doing. He comes to the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, if this is working, Chris, could you help me out there? Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then you want to go to the next one, please? Thanks. Look at this next text. And when I say look, I mean look in your Bibles. Notice how this is, comes directly on the heels of the passage in verse 45 that says that we're called to serve. It says in verse 46, Then they came to Jericho as Jesus, is in his, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up! On your feet! He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now what's, of course, the the thing on which we focus here is the fact that there is a blind man who received his sight. There's this incredible miracle that God could work this way in human life and transform it and to make it so new. And that itself is what we typically focus on and that's often what we need to focus on. It's beautiful that God can work in our lives and in others' lives that way and transform them. But what I really want you to see is verse 48. 
Verse 48 says, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't it true that so often we end up being those who play the part of the rebuker? Sometimes we don't anticipate that God really wants to work a miracle in someone's life. And therefore, it's surprising to us when there needs to be real reaching out. It's a surprise to us when we see Jesus go and be the one who is willing to talk to this other, reaching out to them and bringing them to himself. In fact, we tend so often, and when I say we, I mean me, so often to see those who are in the salt mines and the common way of thinking of them is as sinners rather than as those who so badly need Jesus. We could go on a Friday. Jim Good came down because it was raining. Remember we had all the rain and snow about a week and a half ago? Jim Good came down because the building was leaking. We had a great big leak right back there. And Jim was going to climb up, climb up with me on the roof and we were going to look and see if we could figure out where the water was coming from. So we went downstairs and we grabbed the ladder, pulled it out, walked across the gym door and started to push out the door that goes into the stairwell that goes outside. And when we pushed out the door, there was a gentleman in the stairwell. Now, it's not uncommon for us to have people in the stairwell. That happens actually all the time. But on this day, it was a bit unusual in that when we pushed the stairwell open, the stairwell door open, the fellow was sitting there and he was... um, he was being immoral. His pants were around his ankles. He was exposing himself. It was an awful situation. We shut the door. Jim and I looked at each other and said, oh, what do we do now? And so I walked out through the gymnasium. I came down the hallway and I went down the hallway this way and I pushed open the glass door thinking that after we pushed the door open that surely by this time the fellow was on his way to leaving. Well, he wasn't, not even close. He hadn't moved at all. And the reason why is because he was so high from crack that he couldn't even respond. And so when I pushed open the door and went out the glass door and and looked, he he was taking the, the crack pipe to his mouth just at that moment, and he had it lit. And he turned around and he looked at me, and he was so high that he couldn't respond. And I said to him, you know, you've got to leave. You've got to get out of here. You can't just stay right here. It's time for you to go. Didn't move, didn't respond, barely acknowledged my presence. So I went back in, walked down the hallway. Chris called 911, and the police came. And that was actually quite appropriate. They arrested the fellow. They had us fill out statements. We may get called in to testify in court because they charged him with, kind of threw the book at him, and he's in a bit of trouble. But here's the problem. The problem is not that we have our church building located in a place where people do things like that in our stairwell. The problem is not that we have drug deals go down in our parking lot on a regular basis. 
The problem is, is that when we called the police and this fellow came and was picked up, that since then, after that, not one time until this morning did I pray for him. When I told that story to others, and I've told it numerous times in the last week and a half to some of you, I always told that story as, oh, how tragic it is that this fellow's on our parking lot doing this. Not to any of you did I say, we need to pray for him. Not to any of you did I ever express the idea that here is a broken life that we should have a chance to minister to. Instead, my perspective about him was simply, here's a sinner who encroached his life on our church building. In fact, there was a policeman, the policeman who took the statements and who gave Chris and I the forms to fill out, who came to me, and these were his exact words. He said, he basically said, we're going to throw the book at this guy. And the reason why is because it is so inappropriate for him to do what he was doing right at the house of God. And I had an opportunity there that slipped right through my fingers. Because it would have been easy for me to say to him at that point, hey, the problem is this person's life is so broken. The problem is that this person, and maybe along with you, officer, needs Jesus so badly. I didn't say that. And I must admit that it wasn't really even my attitude. And that is not what Jesus says he was all about. He came to seek the lost because he loved them. And he came not to be served and to think in terms of the house of God, but to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. There was another incident not long ago where Peter and I faced ourselves with a fellow who, contrary to this person, was not sinning or anything. Uh, He was bound to a wheelchair. He may have been in the advanced uh, stages of a fast developing multiple sclerosis, I'm not sure, found himself in a wheelchair and came in the building because he had been across the street with his wife, wasn't able to take care of himself in the washroom and needed help, and there was no one there to help him. So he came across the street and came into the building and asked for help because couldn't do it himself. So I quickly grabbed my young associate and the two of us went into the washroom and helped this fellow. It was a mess, honestly. But you know, my heart was completely different with this guy. Had compassion, wanted to help out, wanted to be a servant. And so Peter and I helped him 
Felt pretty good about that. But oh, as I reflected on the two circumstances and realized just how different my perspective was with the one person I perceived as such a sinner and the one who was simply in trouble, I didn't feel very good about it. God wants us to reach into our community, not only to those who have needs like the second fellow to whom we should minister, but certainly to those like the first fellow who needs Jesus so badly. And we have, as a church, such a wonderful opportunity to be in this place where our church building is located and to reach into the lives of people and make ourselves available to those who so badly need what we have in Jesus Christ. A few years later at Christmas time, while I was in my office just as the Sunday afternoon service was beginning, I received a message that said Ricardo was dying. He wanted to talk to me. I slumped in my chair, and as I picked up the phone, Betty's voice greeted me. Hello, Jim. When I put my husband on the phone, you won't be able to hear much because he's very weak. But he still remembers all that you and the church did for him. In a moment, I heard a fragile, wispy voice say, Jim, so glad to hear you. I choked up. Ricardo continued, forcing out the breathy syllables. I never forgot how you all loved me and took me in. Thank you so much. My ministerial instincts then revived and I prepared to make a comforting little speech to tell him he would be going to heaven soon that he would get there before me, but I would see him on the other side for all eternity. The Holy Spirit stopped me. No, a voice seemed to say, fight for him, cry out to me. I changed course. Ricardo, I'm going to pray for you right now. Don't, tr don't try to pray along with me. Save your strength. I began to intercede with intensity, fighting against the death that loomed before him. Oh God, touch Ricardo with your power. This is not his time to die. Restore him for your glory, I pray. I remember even hitting my desk a couple of times with my fist. When I finished, I marched directly into the meeting and stopped it. I've just gotten off the phone with Ricardo, whom most of you know, I said. People looked up expectantly all across the building. He's very sick with AIDS, I said, but I want us to pray for his recovery. That unleashed a torrent of prayers. People cried out to God for Ricardo. I called Betty two days later. Jim, it's incredible, she reported. We went to sleep after the two of you talked, and the next day all his vital signs had done a U-turn. He began to eat after taking almost nothing for days. Well, within three weeks, Ricardo actually flew to New York and came walking unannounced into a Tuesday night prayer meeting, and the crowd gasped for joy. In my heart, I felt that God spared him for a reason to get his testimony onto video so that others could know his remarkable story. 
This eventually became a gripping eight-minute segment of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir's concert video called Live at Madison Square Garden. The power of his testimony, shot on the streets in the salt mines, is riveting. It may partly explain why the video surprised us all by staying on Billboard's national bestseller list for months. The last, I t- last time I saw Ricardo, a year later, his weight had dropped again. I'm so tired, he said. I've fought this disease long enough. I just want to go to Jesus. I can go now because you have me on film and everybody will know in years to come what Jesus did in my life. He passed away not long afterward. I don't know if you caught the part in there about the billboard, about the billboard magazine bestseller list and the fact that this video with an eight-minute segment of Ricardo giving his testimony was on that video. What that means is that thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people saw Ricardo's testimony and saw what it was that God had done in his life. All because somebody got the idea of on a Saturday afternoon taking down some coats and some food and ministering to some people in the name of Jesus that most of us would simply look at and think of as sinners. But they did that because their Lord didn't come to be served. But he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God help us to have open eyes to the ways in which our church needs to serve. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we pray that you will instill in our hearts the desire to serve and the willingness not to not to desire to be served, but to give our lives on behalf of others the way that you did. Open our eyes, God. Help us to see the opportunities we have to serve you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.